Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Tuesday, February 28th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the web at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it and use it as often as you'd like. Absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we help people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they use these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it frequently prompts comments, questions, answers, testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, please do so. Give us a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone. And that will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. And I'll be able to turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. 
Alternatively, you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org, or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at yagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n.org. And if you email us a comment or question, we'll address it on the show, and then, as time allows, send you a notice about what day and time we were able to get to that, and you can go back into the archives and listen to the comments. So today's a Tuesday, and Tuesdays and Thursdays uh, we offer a support group. Um, 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time, it's offered through Zoom, so wherever you are, if you have Internet access, you can join us for free. And we encourage people to join us where we will use these tools more and we'll use them with support of a community. And we usually listen to an hour or, or watch an hour of a video of a teacher like Dr. Michael Rice, if not Dr. Michael Rice himself, and then we'll have discussion, and then we'll quite often actually do the tool. Someone will do a reality management worksheet process. And if you or someone you know would benefit from that, please share the information. All the information you would need to join us is available at mindshiftersacademy.org website. And... There's a separate page for the information to log in for Tuesdays and a separate page to log in for Saturday or Thursdays. So, how can we support you? What's on your mind today? What would be of use to you for spending this next hour, the first of two hours that are being offered today? 563-999-3000. If you call that number and press 1, we can have a conversation. Yesterday I was talking about the very powerful set of thoughts that was with me over the weekend related to how the way of mastery last year really focused a lot on getting us to understand how little we actually know about life, about the meaning of life, when we were created, who we were created by, how we were created, etc. And how useful it is to remind ourselves of that, that we are making this up. When we give a meaning to something, it's, it's us. We've created the meaning that that things have for us and we get to choose what's going to be most important in our lives our lives and we get to choose how and where we spend our time and with whom and when we give something meaning we are the ones who have created that meaning so that when things go differently than we want them to go it is very very useful to back up and say I wonder how this is going to turn out better than what I had planned or I wonder how I might 
choose in this moment, and it seems more difficult in those moments where life goes in a direction that I didn't want it to go. How can I choose to share only my loving thoughts? How can I choose to look for the loving energies and interactions and loving ways to interact with people? And that was a big part of my intro yesterday. And um, and I thought about it after the, the, the discussion we had with Susan and then Magda that many people, especially from the Western mindset, could listen to that intro and think, well, Dr. Hayes is just trying to figure this out. If he's asking what's mine to do, he might be trying to kick into figuring out how can I be more loving? What do I need to do? What would what would so and so consider loving? And what and and I could be churning in my conscious logical mind, you know, an endless list of possibilities and worrying about did I get it right or did I get it wrong? And I just wanted to offer the clarification this morning that that is not what I was suggesting. What I'm suggesting is what the way of mastery would call resting in my divine ignorance, beginning with the observation that I don't know everything. This is just a a simple, direct observation. There are all kinds of things about various levels of science. There are all kinds of places on the planet I've never visited. There are all kinds of um, theories about sociology and archaeology and anthropology and metaphysics and particle physics and I don't know anything about many of those topics so that's one direct observation I can make I do not know everything and now from that direct observation I can also go to the second observation which is just keeping my eyes wide open and coming from a calm space, so I have probably a better chance of staying uh, in accurate perception when I'm calm. And I can just say, since I don't know everything, whatever it is that I think I know is by definition only partially true and perhaps even completely false. And I just start observing my life and the people around me and everything that I'm experiencing from that perspective, and that puts me in that open, questioning, allowing space. And this is not the same as trying to figure it out. This is definitely not the same as running through myriad possibilities, trying to analyze which one would be most useful in this situation or that. It's just putting myself in an open and allowing space and asking to be taught by life, by the moment, by the creative energies, by whatever you want to call it. I mean, you can, you can give it any name you want. God, light, love, the collective consciousness, my unconscious. So I just wanted to make that clarifying point that it isn't 
you know, when I'm asking, what's mine to do here, or how can I be more loving in this moment, or how can I be a blessing to myself and others, it's not the same as trying to figure things out. It's about putting myself in the open, allowing space that begins with the observation that I don't really know much of anything. And that my very limited perception, like Dr. Michael Rice likes to quote the Harvard research that says, during the period of time that they can measure 10,000 individual units of electrical activity in the frontal lobes of my brain, basically 1 25th of a second, during that period of time, our science today estimates that I can be aware of nine individual bits of information. So my brain is processing 10,000 bits of information, and I can be aware of nine single bits. Now, various ways to talk about this, the one that I rest on most often is, during that same period of time, 1 25th of a second, they estimate that some enormous amount of data points are hitting my senses. I like to say 20 trillion bits of data are hitting my senses. My brain is processing 10,000 of them, and I can be aware of nine, and I want to, I've been trained by my culture to think, what's right, what's wrong, who's right, who, I can be right, this person is wrong, and, and it's just idiotic. It's just silliness. And that's why the way of mastery is so resonates so strongly with me that it says, hey, look, if I'm only able to be aware of nine bits of data during a period of time that 20 trillion bits of data are hitting my senses and only 10,000 of those 20 trillion are being registered by my brain, I really don't know much of anything. And there's a lot more going on here from that line uh, from the movie The City of Angels. There is a lot more going on here than I know about. And it's really important for me to recognize that. If I want to learn, if I want to look less foolish, if I want to grow and expand, I don't grow and expand when I think I'm right and someone else is wrong. I don't grow and expand when I assume that I know what's right for somebody else. That was another part of the conversation yesterday that we had with Susan. How useful it is for us to just ask other people what is their life experience, what makes sense to them, rather than assuming that we know what they should be doing and how they should be responding to life. And, you know, life, uh, the longer we're around watching it, observing, living through it, life just keeps flowing. And it, truth be told, it seldom goes the way we think it should. Whether that is, you know, somebody that we love dying or somebody that we love choosing to not be around us anymore or... Uh, you know, it, it's just life is a flow, and if we think we know what should be happening in life, then every time the flow goes differently than we want it to, we can generate a tremendous amount of negativity. 
And what this work has us pay attention to is that we are the ones generating that negativity. It's not life that's doing this to us. It's not life that is tragic. It is our labeling of the flow of life that leaves it either being labeled as tragic or wonderful or neutral, etc. And yes, this includes everything that happens all day, every day in my life. So, 563-999-3581. We've got about 42 minutes left to discuss things or do a worksheet with somebody or area code 541. You're in the air, I hope. Yes, I am. Can you hear me? Welcome, Celinda. Hello. Hello. Good morning. All right. Good wonderful Monday morning. I just wanted to share with you how much I have enjoyed the last, actually, last week's plus yesterday's um, sharings that you had on the show with us. And um, I ran across, I remembered that I had read a long time ago an old Jonas Salk quotation that touched me so deeply many, many years ago, that I saved it. And I would like to share it with you right now because it seems so apt to what you've been talking about and what you and Susan have been sharing. And so I thought I'd share it with our listening uh, family and we'll see what comes up. Um, Jonas Salk said, we are living at a turning point in our development At such a time, great tensions naturally develop. Depending on whether we choose to focus on what is dying or what is being born, we will be apocalyptic or optimistic. Because of the urgency, because we see not only the handwriting on the wall, but also the cracks in the wall and its crumbling, People are beginning to take notice. We are the cause of the effects we are feeling. Let me lower this down some more. We can choose to influence the process and stop ourselves from being drawn into our own destruction. Instinct compels us to bring out the best in ourselves and each other, to recognize our interconnectedness with everyone else. Loving and forgiving will release a power in the nucleus of each individual, a power much greater in its positive effects than atomic power in its negative. And Dr. Jonas Salk was the one that invented the polio vaccine? Yes. Yes, that is, um, there's a part of that quote that Dr. Michael Rice likes to share the last part about the loving nature of things being more powerful in its positive effect than nuclear power in its negative effects. But it's been a long time since I've heard the whole thing, so thank you for sharing. Yes, and of course, it's right, it, 
it, it's right in line with what I'm talking about and what the way of master was trying to get us to focus on all of last year is that we create our experience of life by how we label things. So it can be apocalyptic or optimistic. And you can use the same data points to reach either conclusion. And so we take it the next level in this work when I'm presenting it and we say, so please pay attention to how it feels within you when you choose a negative interpretation of things and notice if you like it. And if you do, you can keep doing it. And if you don't like how it feels within you, you can choose again, as Deidre Wolzak would call us to, and the Course in Miracles would call us to. Just choose again. Choose an entirely different interpretation of the very same data points. I like that. And choose and based on how it, how it feels to you. Right. What's your intuitive, insightful, and inspirational part of yourself is feeling right. I have these on PDF. If there's anyone that would like them, all they have to do is email me. <clears throat> and... Um, I'll be happy to send it. Also, in the presence of you, the you have you have what in, you have what in PDF? Uh, the, what you just yeah, read? Doctor, yeah, what I just read, and also in the presence of the light, which I'd read for you a while back, and the what if poem about um, what if you know the church were nature. That one I think I read to you once too. I have all those on PDF if you're interested. If anybody's interested, I'll be happy to email them to them. I use them as... And, uh, and do, do you want to give out your email so they can know how to reach you? <clears throat> yes, it's just Celinda Miller, C-E-L-I-N-D-A, Miller, M-I-L-L-E-R, all one word, no dots, lowercase, at mail, M as in Michael, A-I-L, dot com, no G, no Y, just mail. Dot com. And they just need right. to identify themselves and what it's about so that I don't trash them as as spam. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for that offer. Anything okay. else you would like to comment on or ask about or suggest for conversation for the rest of the show? Not at the moment. I am. Um, I finished that amends letter and sent it off to my cousin, who is an editor. Um, she loves to edit, and um, I'm sitting on it. I will do a worksheet on it about whether it is appropriate to send it or not, um, and I can always use feedback on that. An amends letter to, uh, to a the particular lady, person? Uh, yes a particular person, a friend of 50-some years, and I need to clarify and clear up for her any concerns she had about my friendship with her um, husband. Yeah. Which was totally platonic, but not totally to the degree I told her. It took some spiritual struggling to... uh, honor my commitment vows to my marriage and, and their commitment vows, but 
I managed to pull it off, but I never mentioned that. So I think um, the situation has arisen where I need to bring it up and make an amends letter, which I did, but I'm still um, not totally clear that it needs to be sent or that it even should be sent. So I'm working with that. I'll do a, a worksheet on that today, and I will ask for points of view, but I'm most, I'm most, uh, um, I feel pretty strongly about what I'm supposed to be doing, but I, I need to go inside to make sure that I'm, it's not my ego, it's not coming from guilt or fear, it's coming from love for both of us, so, because she has, she's got doubts, but she doesn't know, and I don't need her I would prefer her not to assume the worst when it never happened. Okay. That sounds and that's all potentially I can say complicated. On yeah. Yeah, yeah it's it sounds potentially. potentially complicated and quite personal, so I would support you in keeping it personal since it the only reason to share things like that is to be of benefit to yourself and others and Right. You know. And one of those one of those questions that it's really good to ask yourself is, you know, is it kind, is it true, is it necessary? Right? right. Would it be helpful and who is it going to be helpful to? Otherwise, you know, keeping something private is not the same as holding a secret. And there are many things that are probably better kept private and dealt with directly with yourself and inside yourself and between you and whoever else it is, but it doesn't need to be public. Exactly. That's why I'm trying to be very generic here. Okay. I support you in that. Yes, and you helped me with that because I've had in one other situation where you said, I didn't need to give all the details because I've had a real difficulty all of my life understanding what was a secret and what was private and being allowed to be private, that it was okay to be private and appropriate. Well, you know, the the, the thing that it, it's a difficult thing for a lot of people, this some people don't even understand that there is a useful difference between privacy and secrecy. But, you know, the, the way I talk to people about it when I'm introducing it in my sessions is I tell people, look, it's our secrets that keep us sick. And without any question whatsoever, every time I keep a secret, let's say it takes 10 units of mental energy to keep a secret from somebody, I'm as I keep that secret from this other person, I'm spending 10 units of my own mental energy to feed the conclusion within me that I'm damaged, broken, and or unlovable, and that if this person I'm keeping the secret from ever finds out the secret, they're either going to attack me or run away from me. And that's how it's my secrets that keep me sick. And so we talk about that. We talk about how, you know, it, it's my own mind energy feeding a conclusion that I'm damaged or broken or unlovable and how unproductive that is in my life. 
And then people say, well, you think does that mean they need to tell people everything and every last detail? And I say no, because while, you know, imagine how much energy that I would have to expend if I tried to convince people that I'm not a normal human being like the rest of you peons. I don't need to eat or drink or use the bathroom, etc. I'm I'm basically a god among men, right? What if I if I tried <laughs> to, to to maintain that facade, imagine how much energy I would have to expend to hide the truth that I need sustenance and that my body has to eliminate waste, etc. There's a tremendous amount of energy. So I'm not going to try and pretend that. But at the same time, I'm not going to try and pretend that. This is what I tell my patients. Hopefully, they'll never pull up here for a session and find me in the parking lot with my pants around my ankles doing my business. Right? So there's a privacy. I'm not trying to pretend I don't have to use the bathroom. But I don't have to do it publicly or even, you know, give people frequent detailed descriptions of what my bathroom habits are like. So that's how I begin the conversation about privacy versus secrecy. And then we get more nuanced based on what the individual person's needs are in in the therapy session. But as long as I'm open with myself honest, deeply honest with myself and working to become more deeply honest with myself day after day, my life gets better. And the more I try and hide secrets from other people or myself, the more constricted and the more negative my life gets, the more I feed the negative conclusions within myself that, as I said earlier, that I'm damaged or broken or unlovable and that if somebody finds out this secret I'm hiding, they're either going to attack me or run away from me. And it's the conclusions that I hold and feed about myself that drive my perception and distort my perception and drive my behaviors. That's why so often we talk in this work about getting clear about any goal I'm holding whenever there's any kind of a negative emotional state and then making sure that I cancel that goal, not because the goal is bad or wrong, but because if as I hold that goal, it generates a negative emotional state within me, that means inside me, that goal and it's getting met or not met is energetically connected to this negative emotional state. And so as long as I focus on that goal and the negative emotional state is present, my perception is distorted and I don't get to see clearly. I don't get to see clearly what are the roots of that upset within me and I don't get to see clearly what's going on around me. So I cancel the goal so that that part of my mind that just denies and projects onto others blame for its content, it collapses and I get a chance to, as Michael Rice says in some of his lectures, I get a chance to open a keyway 
into that part of my mind that's actually connected energetically to this upset. And once I do that, if I want to, in the next moment, I can reestablish that, that goal and, and look again to see, does it leave me feeling calm and loving and or does it leave me generating more negativity? If it generates more negativity, I can cancel it again and ask to be shown, what is that connection deeper in my mind that's functioning purely on resonance that's got this relatively good loving goal stirring up or resonating within me this negative emotional upset. And if I repeat that process enough times, I start having clarity, I start having better um, vision, my perception gets clearer, and I spend a lot less time in the negative emotional states because I don't hide from myself their source within me, their cause within me. I look inside of my myself, I see the cause, and I have ready access in the next moment to dismantle that cause and move forward in my life in a more loving way. That's where we do this work. So I can keep all kinds of things private, and yet I don't really have to keep any of it private. All I have to be willing to understand is when I share something, there will be consequences. It's one of those, you know, laws of physics. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Right. Like what I talked about with boundaries. If I'm going to set a boundary or a limit with somebody, I'm going to make a very clear statement with my words and my actions about what I think is acceptable and not acceptable. It can be anything that I choose. I just need to be willing to deal with the consequences of doing that sharing or making that choice. Yep. You hit the the disease of perfectionism right on the head of the nail. And the reason I didn't, I had a, an unspoken request from this friend of 50 years for clarity and I wasn't willing to rise to the occasion because I feared the loss of a 50-year friendship. And what I realized is that that's because I still saw myself as damaged goods. And that happened before I became aware of the, uh, before I connected with Michael Rice and the Aramaic Gospel. And... Um, now, I've been doing work for three years. I've barely scratched the surface of my issues, but I've been doing the work in the best way I know how, and I'm willing. And I have come to see that I replaced my relationship with Creator. I replaced that with this friendship that became more important than being honest and truthful and humble and all of those wonderful attributes that we have been learning and sharing with each other. And so that is the main impetus behind my sending this letter. However, at the same time, I realize there's a lot of ego in me. There's a lot of 
my damaged goodness that still has to be dealt with, and so I'm willing to be patient. Even if Carol, who is older than I, decides to leave the planet before I do, the letter is written, and I just want clarity as to the wisdom and the kindness and the necessity of sending well, you know, there are those that would say that the the value of that letter is contained in your composing it and getting clear for yourself about your 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 thoughts and beliefs related to it. And it doesn't really the value doesn't rest on anybody else's getting it or receiving it or accepting it, et cetera. Right. It's like the idea that's in the forgiveness in lesson three of the way of mastery where it says, when you have a thought about that four-year-old, when you were four years old, that, that other kid that you pushed down just to see them cry, it's coming into your awareness for the reason that you can now heal that. You can now do the process of dismantling the false perception, the negative judgment against self and others, etc. And it's it's there for you to do even if that person is many, many, many miles away or has already left the body or whatever because even if they were standing right in front of you and you decided to do this process of dismantling these energies and perceptions and make an apology or trying to make amends, that other person would still have to make a decision whether or not to accept your offering or your change in perception, etc. So it isn't always about or is never about getting another person to change. It's about doing the work within me. And that's how I most often use the responsibility communication tool, most of those responsibility communication letters I've formulated, I haven't sent because it's not necessary for the other person to hear my thoughts about this or to make a change to forgive me or to negotiate um, a change of disposition. It's, It's not necessary for me to do my healing for them to make any kind of change at all. All that's necessary is for me to change and be willing to make it, you know, a functional and operational change as I move forward in my life, whether it's with them or with somebody else. And I'm not uh, held hostage by somebody else's anger or bitterness or hurt or vengeance or I'm I'm never held hostage by anybody else's choice. I'm always free to choose again, choose new, choose to way of mastery talk, choose to teach only love, etc. So you can put yeah, that, that in your in, in your little decision tree for whether or not to send this ever at all. The, the tremendous value that comes from doing work like this is value you get for doing the work. Exactly. And because of the unspoken request, there is 
um, an awareness within myself that there may be assumptions on her end that are bringing her grief, which is her grief, I understand totally. And if there were any way that I could extend the possibility of um, bringing, offering peace to her, offering comfort to her, offering um, the truth to the best of my ability, my truth as I remember it after 50-some years, then I would like to extend that. And also the other thing that I was thinking of as you were talking is that when I could not respond uh, for five, oh my goodness, it's been five years ago already, six almost, um, it was because of this fear that I would lose a friendship from my own unconscious sense of brokenness. And what I see now is that actually this is a celebration for me, Dr. Tim, because I'm very grateful that I was a born-again Christian at that time, you know, totally evangelical, totally convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. And yet that helped me immensely to hold to my values. And besides that, it's rather ironic that I was studying Russian at the University of Massachusetts and that I had read Dr. Zhivago and was familiar with Anna Karenina. And coming from my very conservative evangelical place, I had a lot of judgment about those two novels. And I asked, I said, I don't get this. You know, I asked God, I said, I don't get this, God. How can they run away from their perfectly wonderful marriages? Uh, Anna Karenina didn't have such a great one, but their, their marriages and go off and have an affair. And what I realized now was uh, the universe delivered. <laughs> it gave me the opportunity to have one, which I did not take up. And uh, now when I look back on it, my God, that was a victory for me. And when I look back on my spiritual um, journey since then, that is a wonderful, wonderful affirmation about my brokenness not being so broken. And so I wanted to share that also with you. Are you there? Can you hear me? I can hear hello, you. Hello? Can you hear me? Hello? Yes. Can you hear me? Oh, wonderful. Did you hear what I said? Yes, I did. I said... Oh, perfectly. <laughs> yes, I, I did hear what you said. I don't know where you okay. didn't hear me, but... No, um, I did not hear you respond. I'm talking so about thinking it would be good for you to really be careful in your analysis of whether or not there is benefit to anybody but yourself to share that letter. Yes. You know, the more clear you can be about motivations and intent and need when when you start talking about things that are that old 
and that intense and that emotionally loaded, um, I just want to support you in actively choosing um, to be careful so that you don't inadvertently, um, I don't know what you want to call it, but bring up drama and trauma that isn't useful. Let's put it that way. Thank you. That's um, uh, very valuable, and it's also the second, uh, second um, evalu- evaluation, I guess you would call it, advice that I've been given, and um, I'm paying a lot of attention. In fact, it may be the third. One of the things that's been very helpful is that these two people um, that previous to your uh, suggestion is that they both live in very present time. And both of them basically said, in essence, um, this is about the past. You know, this is about the past. Um, let's don't muck around in it. And so I really appreciate what you just said. One said, you know where she is. You can just send a sweet little note and tell her that your phone number has changed, etc., and that you were just wondering how she was and you would love to reconnect with her and just leave it at that and see what happens. And if she doesn't respond, then um, drop it. Yeah, and or decide to... Uh engage in the Pierre Pratervan gentle art of blessing so that you're going to be actively choosing to send her loving thoughts and and images of wholeness and beauty and compassion and truth and patience and and then you know even if she doesn't want to accept that energetically through the ethers I'm not talking about continually sending her emails or anything you get the benefit. You you spend, you can choose to spend time in love and joy and compassion and patience and gratitude and visualize sending it to her and you you both benefit from that. Rather than being concerned rather than being, oh, my goodness, she's probably suffering. I see what you're saying. Yes, I do see. Thank you. Yeah, if you think somebody is suffering um, and, and you're, you know, making your best effort to reach out to them and or offer friendship or care and compassion and they're not responding the way you think they should, it's probably best to engage in something like Pierre Pratervan's Gentle Art of Blessing because you can't know what's going on with them and what's motivating them and what would be of, of best benefit for them. But you can imagine the best, most loving most compassionate energies from your experience in life and then visually visualize sending that to them through your loving heart space 
and then you both benefit from that energy. Or I, there's another possibility. I could just send her a card that expresses that and give her my new phone number in case she doesn't have it. Huh? That's a possibility also. Right, and that's what we were saying. If you do that and then you don't get much of a response, then just stay loving and just keep one of the options is send her the gentle art of blessing energy that you can right. generate, yep. you know, from your own quiet space and no one and no thing can stop you from doing that and benefiting from it. And it leaves her open to make her own choices without any pressure from you. How sweet. That's beautiful. Thank you. I really appreciate this. I'm glad you're appreciative, and I hope it works out well for you. My personal experience has been that that gentle art of blessing tool is beyond words valuable. So, I remember one of the uh, Christian mystics that said, um, all will be well and all will be well and all will be exceedingly well. And I have started saying it in the present tense instead. And it's, it's a real blessing. All is well. All is exceedingly well. Yeah. Yes, I like that. All right. Is there anything else you want to discuss or comment on? No, thank you for taking so much time with me. I really appreciate it. I hope this is helpful for others. And I... Well, don't I worry about that. Practice. Just make it of use to you because we're all connected. And we're all connected, and that's all you need to worry about is, you know, is it useful to you? And if it's loving and it's clarifying, then everybody's benefiting. Beautiful. Amazing grace. So I want you to write a song with that title. I know, and you know what I did? I, I'm going to send a copy to Michael, but I just changed, I just tweaked a few words in that whole song, and it looks quite Aramaic now. And I could share that, too, if anybody's interested. Michael wanted it, so I can make a PDF out of it and share it. Yeah, feel free. All right. All right. Well, Thank I will you, meet sir. you so you can listen into the second half of the show. Blessings. And we've got about seven or eight minutes left. Five six three nine 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 three five eight one. If you haven't chatted with us for a while, or even if you were on the call yesterday and you would like to share something with us, please feel free. Five six three nine 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 three five eight one. How can we be of use, of support, of benefit to you today? We've had some conversation about
privacy versus secrecy. We've had conversation about being able to get benefit from a tool like the responsibility communication tool, even if I never send the letter to another person because it's in the process of me clarifying my energies, my thoughts, the process within me that's generating upset that the the vast majority of benefit comes from, in my experience, from using the responsibility communication tool. So, I know that... Um, there are all kinds of things that I'm just thinking about in the way of mastery in the third lesson where it's talking about forgiveness. And forgiveness is the process of dismantling the negative perceptions that I've created and projected onto another person. And then later on in that lesson it says, you know, don't be afraid to share these things with other people. You might share them with others, and yet you don't need to to get the benefit. You're not held hostage by somebody else's anger or bitterness or resentment. And that is a very clear message that comes from the way of mastery and the Course in Miracles and the Course of Love and Jesus, my autobiography and and um, the, the more recent things we were sharing from Christian Sundberg, where he's talking about the entire purpose that he's chosen for being here in physical form is to practice and get better and better at being able to generate loving thoughts and share only loving thoughts in more and more difficult situations, in more and more challenging situations, in more situations where the flow of life goes in a direction that is seemingly contradictory to what my conscious logical mind or my beliefs about the world or my religious beliefs would say, or even my um, logical sensibilities would say. And that regardless of the situation, the more challenging it is for me to generate loving thoughts and emotions, the more beneficial it is for me to do it. Just like being at a gymnasium and practicing at lifting heavier and heavier weights. You know, when I first go to the gym... it might be a challenge to lift a 25-pound weight, you know, in, in one hand or on a barbell. Um, and yet if I start practicing with that and doing exercises on a regular basis and, of course, combining that with eating good, healthy food, etc., I will probably gain strength. And it probably won't be too long before 25 pounds lifted in that way is um, seemingly nothing. 
and I can do many repetitions without getting fatigued. Well, I think about back uh, 20-some years ago when I first started encountering work similar to Michael's, and it said, you know, you're generating all of your own negative emotional states and how that clashed with what I had been raised with where I, I was trained to believe that when inanimate objects don't perform properly, um, swearing and throwing things and you know breaking objects was the thing to do. Now, you would never do that with a person. You'd be very patient and loving with a person. But, you know, if the tractor wasn't running or the bolt would strip or the printer was printing wrong, that was when the anger and all of the violence would come out. And so when I first started looking at being able to be responsible for this and choosing differently, it was quite a challenge to not throw the printer across the room when it didn't print properly. And I've told a lot of people over the years that while I certainly am nothing like perfect in my application of the tools or my ability to stay loving in all circumstances, I can't even begin to imagine going through the difficult circumstances in my life over the past 20-some years without having access to these tools. It would have, It's just beyond comprehension. So I used to be in a situation where if the printer didn't print correctly, I would be in a rage. And yet I've gone through all kinds of deeply disturbing personal loss, divorce, personal attack, etc., and refuse to rage and refuse to give in to vengeance and, you know, slander and libel and all of those things that certainly would have been on the table uh, as good options, according to the way I'd been uh, trained to believe that this person has no right to say or do this or that. And so I've gained tremendous strength, you might say, by practicing staying loving in more and more challenging circumstances. So um, we encourage you to join us in that workout room, in that um, practice of trying to strengthen your ability to stay loving in more and more challenging circumstances and situations. Of course, each of us generate the things that are most challenging for us. Some people would be very challenged by the printer not printing and other people would be more challenged by, you know, the electricity going out in their house. But thank you for being with us. Thank you for listening. Michael and Jeannie will be here for the second hour. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love and everything else is false. Welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. Appreciate it. You're very welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thank you. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. And today is Tuesday, February the 28th, 2023. Tomorrow is the first day of March. That is hard to believe. Anyway, um, I'm actually going to play a pre-recorded 
show here in a minute. There, I've got it's only 53 minutes long, so I have about seven minutes. If somebody has a question or a comment, press one, and we'll take that first, and then I'll play the pre-recorded show. What's happening is that um, uh, Michael's former wife, TJ, the mother of his children, is uh, in the process of passing. And her brother is coming in from Florida today, and then Krista, um, her daughter, Michael and her daughter, uh, she's coming in tomorrow or Thursday. Anyway, uh, they're trying to get the house ready for extra guests, and uh, part of that's going to include cleaning out CJ's bedroom upstairs, and that was going to be a challenging task for them to do after CJ passes, and so... uh, Actually, Michael J. has to work today, so Michael, my Michael, and Jamie, um, our daughter-in-love, are going to, they are in the process of cleaning out that room and and, uh, cleaning it up and getting rid of stuff and trying to find papers and and different things. So hold the space for them as they're going through that, and it was just going to be easier to go ahead and do a pre-recorded show than for him to stop in the middle of that process and and do a show and then get back to it so uh, while the momentum's going just um, for them to stay in that so we have just a couple of minutes if somebody wants to comment or ask a question or something press one it puts you right into queue and i see miss susan so i'm going to turn on her microphone 610 you're on the air hi Jeannie. just how are you doing by yourself down there I'm actually okay. It was really funny. Um, you know, the uh, night, let's see, two nights ago, Saturday, Friday night, Aria spent the night with us, and um, she's got something going on with her skin on her hands, and, and they just itch her, like, so she just digs at them like crazy. And mm. so she woke up about 12.30 with her hands itching, and I put uh, a balm on them and then wrapped them in cold cloths and got her back to sleep, but then she was back up at 5.30, ready to go. (laughs) Well, then, (laughs) that was uh, Friday night. Well, then Saturday night, we drove to uh, Asheville. Well, Michael's flight was at 6 o'clock, so we were up at 4.30 to uh, get him to the airport. (laughs) So two nights in a row of hardly any sleep, and so then night before last, I fell asleep about 8.30, and I was up at 3, so. (laughs) <laughs> oh boy! Finally, last night I was able to get my clock reset and realize I didn't have to get up at that time. <laughs> but it's been oh, kind of comical because um, I went to get something out of the hall closet and it was like an avalanche. Everything fell out. I'd intended to go through that closet anyway, so <laughs> I spent the better part of yesterday <laughs> reorganizing the uh, linen closet in the hallway. And then I went to change sheets on the bed, and I hit a stack of stuff that Michael had, and it all went out on the floor. So I spent the rest of the afternoon straightening that up. It's like, okay, what is this? Everything's falling out at my feet. Oh, my God. <laughs> but well, you don't I'm have good. Aria today, right? No, I have Aria her tomorrow. Today. Yeah. No, I don't today. I have her Wednesday yeah. and Thursday. And Whoa, so. let's do. So Whoa, today I'm just done. Going to go <laughs> after I uh, get this show started. I'm going to actually take off and go over to visit Dad. When I went to see him, when I got back from Asheville, he was like so sleepy and so lethargic, and it's like, okay, I'm not going to try to keep him in the present. I'll just let him rest. 
so I'm going to go back today. Uh, and, and so how has he been in general? Uh, in general, health-wise, he seems to be okay. Uh, mentally, he seems more checked out than before. Um, yeah. He seems tired. But they mm-hmm. they tested him last week. Even the nurses thought that he was more lethargic and, and kind of down. And so they actually tested him twice to see if he had COVID, and he did not. So uh, yeah, I think he's just tired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've heard that nursing homes are really bad places to be during COVID. And COVID's been going on for a long time. They keep passing yeah, it around. Has. Yeah. They had with the week before last, I think they had about 10 cases at the uh, assisted wow. living. And so luckily Dad avoided that. But uh, mm-hmm. anyway, he's uh, seems to be doing okay. And, boy, that's not easy for you to see that. I mean, you've got two people who are lingering toward the edge yeah. of early life. Yeah. They said that when they went to see CJ night before last, that she said she wanted it to just hurry and go quickly, that she was tired of lingering. So hopefully. Oh, boy. You know, she, so she's yeah. got her consciousness. She's fully aware. A little of bit. Going. Yeah, oh, okay. a little bit. Michael said last night that they couldn't even get her to wake up to open her eyes and look at them. So, but she's been over a week now without dialysis. And, and they say that you know, usually one, one to two weeks is max. Once dialysis stops, mm-hmm. and it's not painful, right? Well, she's in pain, but I think that the pain is coming from you know she's had like her knee uh, replaced, her ankle pinned together. You know, she's just had so many issues, and when her knee went out and they had pinned it back together, it, I guess it threw her balance off, and so then her hips started hurting, and so she's been oh, in boy. pain for some time. But yeah. um, Michael said that they're really giving her a, a heavy dose of, I don't remember what he said, the laudan or something, you know, to keep her. So that may be also why she wasn't waking up last night. Yeah, but the hospice kind of caution. Yeah, yeah, I'm just trying that to keep her comfortable until it, until it passes, you know, and she's not strong enough yeah. to suck through a straw so they're actually like taking a, a straw of water and like letting it go, you know, into her mouth or whatever, but. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. So it's it's well, hard for Michael to 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 face that. So I'm glad Michael's there to support him. Oh yeah, but it's good that with a brand new baby and everything. You know that that makes it hard to try to keep it together. Right. Well, you've got to start your show now, so I'll get off. But I just wanted to see how All you're right. doing. Thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, I I, appreciate we appreciate you, you Jean. Okay, over the phone. Okay, we'll talk to you later. All right, The show that I'm going to play is called uh, The Power of Responsibility. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here with us and honored to be able to move the conversation forward to the next level of understanding these amazing, amazing principles. And I was talking to someone recently that triggered uh, a, uh, a desire to cover a particular topic on the show, so I want to open that one up. And as I was speaking to someone who was, uh, 
well, let's see, what should I say? Someone who's been involved in doing their work for many years and is a pretty high-level therapist. And I had responded to a post that they had put up, and they were talking about the idea of something making you feel. How did that? Basically, the question was, how did that make you feel? And there's a there's a whole complex of information that goes into creating this thing called perception in the mind, a construct that shows us not necessarily what's true about what's happening in the world, but what's true about what we believe is happening in the world. And because those two things can be very literally diametrically opposed, depending on the language that we use, I just want to bring forward once again a reminder of the power of words. And if you listen to Yeshua 2,000 years ago, he says the power of life and death is in your words. You might remember your mother saying something you like, as mine did, choose your words carefully. One day you may need to eat them. And there was wisdom in that. And so I want to kind of start out with a, a basic idea and then develop it from there just to kind of cover that whole topic. You might want to do a search on YouTube, and there's a TED Talk done by a man named Anil, A-N-I-L-S-E-T-H. Anil Seth is a neuroscientist at, if I remember correctly, University of Sussex in England. And what Neil offers to us is the understanding that perception, the world we see, the construct of our mind is nothing more than a construct. It is the mind's best guess based on what's resonated within it, its best guess about what is actually happening outside of it. But they're two different things. Now, the best we can hope from perception is that the information that's used to develop it is true and accurate, and therefore our perception gives us something true about what's happening in the world. But the offering here is, if perception is coming from the mind, that even if everything it tells us about the world of actuality is true, it's still just a reality in our minds. So reality is a construct in the mind. Actuality is what actually happened. If our reality is 100% accurate, it's still just a reality in the mind. It is not what actually happened in the world. And my offering is that you don't have actual life until you are actually interacting with what's actually going on in the world. And I know that's a lot of actualities. 
But while we're in perception, even if it is accurate, it's not the experience. We're not directly experiencing the energy of what's happening in the actual world. And we have faculties to do that. It's just not the mind that gives that to us. So recognizing that reality is a construct, an important piece of understanding how those constructs are made comes from understanding the power of language in structuring our perception, the world we see. We've talked many times about the Harvard research in the realm of psychology that says that in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells are firing, there are 10,000 measurable units of electrical activity happening in the brain, the max amount of data that goes into constructing your perception is nine bits. Very, very tiny fragment of what's moving in your mind and certainly a much tinier fragment of what's moving in the actuality. The time frame for those numbers of 10,000 bits being measured, 10,000 units of electrical activity being measured, and nine bits of that, nine fragments of that being what structures our reality, is about a 25th of a second. And it's been estimated, and I don't know that anyone's ever been able to or could ever actually tell us what the, the truth of it is, but it's been estimated that in that same time frame, there be, may be as much as 20 trillion bits of data happening in the actuality, in the actual world that's in front of you. So let's just accept that number. It might be a half of that. It might be 20 times that. I don't know. I don't know that we have a way of measuring it with our, you know, we're, we're kind of like an ant trying to measure the, uh, the height of that uh, radio tower over there. How do we do that? But let's just go with 20 trillion bits. The mind is kind of like a reducer valve, reduces it down to 10,000 bits. And then the next level of reduction is to our perceptual construct is nine bits. The key becomes what determines which nine bits of information your mind selects out of the perhaps 20 trillion or the 10,000. What, what information does your mind select to that nine bit construct in your mind? And what directs that process? Well, number one, the driver, the overall driver for that process is goals. And let's talk about this in familiar terms of where there is upset. So you'll notice that unless you're a generally miserable person, you're pretty happy with everybody who's doing everything that you want them to do. Everybody that is in a reasonable way fulfilling all the goals you have for them. And you'll notice that you're only pointing upset at them when they're not fulfilling the goal that you have for them. And our goals, by and large, are formulated out of words. So words instruct the mind what, what data it is allowed to use to generate 
It's construct, your perception. Words either allow or inhibit certain information from being used. So once you recognize that the only thing that can cause you to feel is an energy that's moving inside of you, you know, aside from cancel the thought of punching the nose, feelings are internal. They come from within. Emotions are internal. They come from within. And the, the words we use to tell our minds how to structure our understanding of what we're feeling are really important because those words can either inhibit or will allow or will cause the mind to hallucinate information about what's happening and give us either a relatively accurate or a totally false perception. Let's take the person who's in a deep state of somnambulism, a deep hypnotic state. And we've all seen it, this person standing on the stage. And standing on the stage, words are fed into this person's mind, and hypnosis is nothing but the uncritical acceptance of an idea, an idea fed with words into the mind of the person standing on the stage, the person is hypnotized, and we say to that person, you are now on the bow of a ship. And literally, this person looks down at the stage that a moment before was just the stage, but now that they've uncritically accepted the idea that they're on the bow of a ship, when they look down at the stage, the brain, because the words interrupted the natural flow of information, you know, there's a stage, light energy bounces off of the stage, hits my eye, feeds information to my brain, my brain perceives I'm standing on a stage. But if the hypnotist intervenes and says you're standing on the, state, the, the bow of a ship, then literally what the mind does is it produces the hallucination of being living on the bow or standing on the bow of a ship. Literally, this person looks at the stage and does not see a stage, but they see the bow of a ship. So that's an hallucinated reality. And if you've ever seen, you know, up close, somebody in hypnosis, it's very, very real to them, even though it never happened and it isn't there. It can be very disturbing and upsetting if the hypnotist tells them that's what's going on, or it can be very wonderful and pleasing. If you listen to the ancients, when they said transcend, they weren't saying float off in space somewhere. They were saying put an end to the state of trance. Get out of hypnosis. Most people live most of their lives in a state of hypnosis, in a lie. Perception shows them that the lie is true. Now, there's nothing true about standing on the bow of a ship for the person who's on stage being told by a hypnotist you're standing on the bow of a ship, but that doesn't change the fact that their construct, the mind's construct, shows them standing on the bow of a ship. If I feed incorrect words to my mind, 
my mind will has a, has this ability to turn my words into pictures. You're on the bow of a ship, and sure enough, the mind turns that into pictures. Now, if I speak accurately about, let's say, a painful emotion that I have, then my accurate speech is going to be, well, you know, this event happened in the world, and what that resonated in me was this particular quality of pain. And when I speak those words accurately to my mind, I've given my mind permission to show me that this pain is something that comes from inside of me and belongs to me. But if I speak inaccurate words, and my words are a desire to deny and not own what's happening in me, and I say, you made me really suffer by the hurt you inflicted on me when you did whatever it was that you did. My mind will then generate for me a construct. And and remember, when you're looking at 10,000 brain cells firing and only nine bits of it out, you're looking at evidence. And words are the primary thing that give the mind permission to show certain evidence. So when I say to my mind, you really hurt me with the, when you did that, I've said to my mind, mind, structure for me a construct where I get to see that Bill over there is the cause of my hurt. And my mind will literally build me a construct, a nine-bit picture, where I see Bill as the cause of my hurt. And I really will see it and experience it that way. That's the power of words in the evidential mind. And the reason I'm talking about this is, and you know, as I say, I was interacting with someone who's been involved in this work for some time and is a fairly high-level therapist, but still talking about how did that make you feel. My offering is that we need to give up the fallacy that anything outside of us can cause us to feel anything. Again, aside from a punch in the nose. You get a punch in the nose, you're going to have some, you know, experiences in there. But, you know, we talk to somebody on the phone who's on the other side of the world and we rage at them for causing all this pain in us. It's like, how could somebody on the other side of the world, speaking into a little piece of plastic and metal with a glass face on it, cause uh, air molecules to move because of the way they vibrate their voice box and those air molecules cause a little plastic thing called a microphone to vibrate back and forth and that vibration of the microphone is converted into an electrical frequency that then is inserted into a signal that travels from the other side of the world through the air, through electronic waves, through technology And there's an antenna just down the road. That frequency is broadcast by that antenna. And I have another little with a glass face on it and a a, a little plastic cone in it called a speaker. And that electrical frequency that came out of that person's mouth on the other side of the world resonates and fires with a similar frequency here in my phone. And I think I hear that person saying words. And I say, your words really upset me. I mean, how silly is it that someone vibrating their voice box on the other side of the world because a little piece of plastic in this thing I call a telephone vibrates that they caused me to be upset. 
I mean, it's just pure silliness. So my offering is that giving up that fallacy that anything can cause us to feel anything and recognize that all that the outside world can show us is what's already within us. So if somebody on the other side of the world vibrated their voice box, telephone broadcast a signal, signals decoded by my phone and comes back to me, I need to recognize that my emotions are a part of perception. And that my emotions are a reflection of something that's going on inside of me. It's an internally generated construct of my mind. If I don't like its effect on me when it moves in me, by telling you that you're the reason I'm experiencing this, I avoid, I leave a whole step out of what's happening in my mind and in my structure where this energy is stored that I'm feeling the effects of. If you can do me the favor of showing me some sort of emotional pain that I have in me and I can actually own it, then you've given me the opportunity to recognize I've got something stored in me that is causing pain, which means, in effect, it doesn't belong in me. And so now I have the opportunity to heal that. I have the opportunity to remove that. I have the opportunity to forgive that energetic pattern in me, remembering that forgiveness has nothing to do with me letting you off the hook for what's happening inside of me. But that forgiveness is a piece of technology with which you go inside yourself and you collapse the world of false perception and you get to access directly the underlying energy that's stored in you that's causing you to feel. Now, that's a huge blessing unless you live in denial. And denial leads to deepening disease. And, and I'm speaking of the specific definition of denial that we've developed in this work, which is whenever I think or speak, and so something outside of me is the cause of something moving inside of me, then I'm in denial. You know, in order to play the blame game and believe that my lie, that something or someone outside is a cause for what's happening inside of me, I've got to hide the real cause of it from me. I've got to hide the, the, the energy that's moving in me and hallucinate a construct that paints for me a picture of a world that shows me that you're the problem, that you're the reason I'm feeling this, rather than the reason I'm feeling this is because it's inside of me. Now, the problem with that whole game of denial, thinking or speaking as though something outside is the cause of what's moving inside, means that each time I enter into denial, I successfully hide the cause of what's really going on. And, and hiding that is called dissociation. If I dissociate from the cause of something in me, I now no longer have access to that which is moving in me or the cause of that which is moving in me, and I cannot remove it. I cannot apply forgiveness to it because my mind won't show me that it's mine, and, and therefore I cannot access it directly. I'll always remain in that dissociated state. 
So I've created now through denial, through this pretense, through this cultural idea that you're the cause of what's moving in me, I've created an unnatural internal condition. I've created an unconscious mind. And my offering is that we are not designed as human beings to have an unconscious mind. How far are we away from our natural state? Well, if you talk to the psychologist today, they'll tell you that perhaps as much as 90 or 95 or maybe even 98% of what's moving in your mind is unconscious. We're not, so how far are we away from our natural condition? Well, if 98% of what's going on in our minds is unconscious, we're a long way from condition where we're not designed to have anything unconscious in us. We should be able to access and touch into anything that's moving in us at any time. But if we push down that energy through denial, you made me mad, you made me sad, you hurt me, you upset me, you disturbed me. They, when I do that, I'm pushing down and refusing to access what's true in me. Which means I'm going to increase the discomfort wherever that energy is stored in tissue, and because relative to any particular part of my tissue, if it's causing pain, it's causing pain because it's of a disintegrative nature. It's not designed to be there. So when I recognize that this pain is signaling me that there's something inside of me that doesn't belong in me, then I have the opportunity to access, if I'm willing to move out of that unconscious state, and remove what never belonged. The process of removing, of accessing and removing what never belonged in you is called forgiveness. Notice the Greeks turned around and showed us or give, gave us a totally and completely backward definition of forgiveness, one that's consistent with living in a world of denial. You know, notice how much the world spend, time spends in you made me. I'm only upset because of you. It's what you did that disturbed me. So when I refuse to own what's going on in me, what do I have to do? I have to push on it. I have to push it down and push it out of sight. But each time I push it out of sight, I add energy to that pattern. It does is it assures that it's going to repeat in my life. It's going to give me that why is this happening to me again experience. <laughs> if you haven't read the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again Yet?, Unfortunately, we can't sell you one because it's out of print. However, you can go to Amazon or eBay, and there are always lots of used copies there. Fortunately, we quarter of a century ago, we spread enough copies of that book around the country that there's still lots of them hanging around in, in, uh, in Amazon, eBay, and other used bookstores. Or you're welcome to go to our website, whyagain.org, whyagain.org. And if you go there and you click on the book cover, you can go in and download the book in any one of, 
I don't know, seven or eight or nine languages. And Jeannie was telling me that we just had someone the other day that's volunteering to translate the book into Polish. So we'll have, hopefully before too long, another language. So the book is there, and it details this why is this happening to be again game. You know, we're just doing a brief picture of it here. But ultimately, what forgiveness does, it allows me to collapse the world of false perception that's based on the lies I tell myself. Lies like, you made me mad, you made me sad, you hurt me, you upset me, it's your problem. You know, if they're the one with the pain, why am I, or with the problem, why am I the one with the pain? Something about that doesn't make sense. Good question to ask yourself. Hmm. If they're the one with the problem, why am I the one with the pain? If you have pain and you think it's somebody else's problem, you've really got a problem. And it's your opportunity to learn to access that energy in yourself and remove its influence from your life. So if I never deal with, if I never remove that energy, then over and over again, someone is going to show up that's going to resonate that in me. Well, why would somebody show up to resonate that in me, Michael? Because that's what governs the world, the law of residence. It's a law of energy exchange. In its simplest form, if I take a middle C tuning fork and I put it in front of a second middle C tuning fork, I hit that first one on the desk and get it vibrating really hard. I put it in front of the second middle C tuning fork. The second middle C tuning fork starts to move. That's what resonance does. It creates motion. And in the human realm, resonance creates motion towards. Someone's going to show up that matches whatever you hold within you. And the more you try to push it down, the more you put energy into it. You know, I like to use an example of, let's imagine that I've got a three-foot diameter spring that stands three feet high. And here it is on the floor. Can that spring do anything just sitting there on the floor? Can it create motion? Can it go anywhere? No, absolutely not. But what happens if I go over and I push on that spring and lock it down? Now there is potential energy stored in that spring. And what if I push on it again and again and again and again and again and I spend my whole life saying things like, you made me mad, you made me sad. That language means that you're pushing down that spring in yourself every time you say that or think that. What happens if after decades of that, I take the lock off of that spring and all that potential energy becomes kinetic and bang, it flies off into space? Well, one of the fortunate things I got to do back about 40 years ago, it was over a period of several years, I, got, I was invited to speak, to do keynote addresses at a conference called Global Sciences. And one year, a gentleman named Marcel Vogel, absolute sweetheart of a man, genius, was speaking at the conference as well. And what Marcel did, Marcel was a 23-year senior scientist from IBM, absolute genius. He's a guy that at the age of 11 invented chemical light. You know, if you go to a football game or whatever, you buy a light stick, it's a plastic tube, and in it there's some glass rods or whatever. You bend it, you break the glass rods inside, and the two chemicals mix, and all of a sudden it lights up. Marcel invented that at the age of 11. 
And because his family didn't have the money, he patented it at the age of 11 personally. The only reason that you are able to utilize the computer that you use or the phone that you use is Marcel invented the magnetic coating that allows your hard drive to operate. That's the kind of mind Marcel had. So Marcel, this particular year, brought a thing with him to the conference called a Delaware camera and explained how he had used this camera to take a picture of the high energy waves that leave the mind when we think a thought. Now the camera's a little different than your standard camera that, you know, when you click the button, it opens the aperture and light energy comes in and it's registered on the photographic plate. Between the lens and the photographic plate, aside from the shutter, there's a tuning mechanism so that you can tune the camera so that only certain energies are picked up when the lens is opened. And they're the energies that reflect onto the photographic plate. If you tune it properly, for instance, and, and I've seen the pictures, they take a picture of an oak tree, or pardon me, they take a picture of an acorn, and what shows up on the photographic plate. Now, on first thought, most people go, oh, come on, Michael, now isn't that just getting a little ridiculous? It's like, well, if you understand the world and, the, and, and physics and how it works, you know, I'm in a room right now, I'm not listening to one radio station, I don't have the TV turned on, but, you know, invisible to me right now, they're probably a thousand different television stations and who knows, 10,000 different radio stations that are in this room with me right now. All I need is the decoding mechanism, the tuner, to attune to it, and I can be listening to that station. It's here. Now, my senses say, no, that's ridiculous. I go over and I take a knife and I cut the acorn up into a thousand pieces and I say, that's ridiculous, oak tree in here. But think about it logically. If you've ever planted an acorn, or if you've, replanted, if you've planted acorns repeatedly over the years, what you've noticed is that every time you plant an acorn, you get an oak tree. You don't get corn. You don't get a new Mercedes. You don't get a Volkswagen or an apple tree. You get an oak tree. Now, obviously, in the same way that these radio stations and these television stations are in the room with you and I right now, in the oak tree, or pardon me, in the acorn, there has to be the instruction set, the vibratory image, the picture of the oak tree. Because every time you put that puppy in the ground and you give it water and you give it light, it turns into an oak tree. Obviously, the instruction set is there if you know how to read it. So now here's Marcel and he tunes the camera properly, and he can take the pic a picture of the high-energy waves that leave the mind when we think of thought. Now, if there's something in my life that I say, boy, I never want that to happen again, you know, like if I say to you, don't think about the color of your car, what moves in your mind? Through resonance, what moves in your mind is something about the color of your car. If I say I don't want that to happen to me again, what energetic pattern is moving in me except that? 
And if these high energy waves are literally moving out from me, is that the creative wave? Is that what motivates somebody to be moving toward me, resonating into my space, and then doing a behavior that maybe they've sworn they would never do again? You know, how many have ever gone into somebody's space totally committed to being loving, caring, nurturing, and all of a sudden found yourself functioning like a mad banshee? It's like, what happened? Why did I go into that fit of rage with them? I was going in there to be gentle and nurturing and supportive. Well, here's what happened. There was a high energy wave emanating from their minds about being abused, and there's a high energy wave in your mind that matched their abuse, and that resonance set up, moved the energy in you of abuse, and perhaps against your own will and choice took over as you spewed that abuse on that other person. Why did you spew that particular form of abuse? Because it was in you. Why did you spew it on that person? Because they were in resonance with it, and that interchange of energy resonated, activated that in you. And most people live their whole lives never knowing that their relationships are based on matching bags of garbage that people come together to spew because when that energy moves in us, if we wake up, if we understand the point of this whole presentation I'm doing today, that what's moving inside of you is a reflection of what's moving inside of you, that what you're feeling is a reflection of that which is in you, then by becoming aware that it's in you and acquiring the skill and the tool of forgiveness, removal, you get to remove that disintegrative energy from your structure. And I'd offer that's the purpose of the world. The purpose of the world is to kick you right square in the limitation, to continuously hone in on through resonance whatever it is that's killing you and give you the opportunity to forgive it. Because life abhors us being diseased. So when I wake up to what I've shut down in me, what I've denied and dissociated from, I can now choose to move inside myself and find what I've hidden and remove that energy. Strengthen what I've hidden from myself through denial and resistance, the energy field of what I do not ever want to have happen again in my life by holding that lie by believing that somebody else causes that in me, then the likelihood of me resonating it into my space increases exponentially. Whenever there's something I refuse to be responsible for that I live in denial and dissociation with, I've set myself up for a repeated occurrence. Basically, the why is this happening to me again experience. Forgiveness is about accessing and removing denied and dissociated content. And that's what we're here in understanding and acquiring the technology. Now, I'm going to offer you, you know, this technology has been around for 2,000 years. How quickly did the technology of forgiveness disappear from the earth? Well, there was this guy named Yeshua, and he brought the technology forward. And then there's another guy named Paul who came along a few decades later, never met, met Yeshua, 
And this guy, Paul, is supposed to be a primo teacher of Yeshua's work. You know, he traveled all over, and he was like rocking. If you listen to Yeshua, the purpose and the result produced by the actual work that he gave people was they would live as love, and they would create a world of peace and health and vitality. Paul says, in a moment of his, I suspect, extreme frustration, why is it the things I would do, I cannot do? And the things I hate are what I do. And this is just a couple of decades after Yeshua put it out there and handed it to people. And Paul did not have a clue how to clean up his own energy field. And so he found himself driven by those internal unconscious dynamics I would offer to do things that he thought were vile and to be incapable of doing things that he thought were wonderful and that he wanted to be able to do. If it left, then disappeared that quickly. And it's been gone for almost 2,000 years. How long do you suppose you're going to have to hang out with it in order to understand it and bring it back? Well, if you've got the background and history in the brain cells, you might be able to do it more quickly than I did. I don't know. Except in 2,000 years, everywhere I've looked, I've never seen anybody who understood the technology. <laughs> Pardon me. Anybody who's ever formulated it correctly and said, here's precisely how, on a consistent, persistent basis, you can go into your own unconscious mind, access the content that is there that has you doing things you hate, as Paul did, and disables you in doing things that you want to do. Here's the technology. Well, I'll offer that from the time I was introduced to it, I hung out with it full-time, and I'm talking about full, full-time. I'm talking about 60, 70, 80, 90 hours a week full-time. And it took me 35 years to understand what it means and how it's done. I don't know. You could go off on your own. Maybe you'll figure it out in a couple of weeks. All you'll need to do is have brain cells about psychology, psychiatry, brain cells about theology, Brain cells about physics, brain cells about physiology, brain cells about neurolinguistics, brain cells about how the brain functions, how the mind functions. That's all you'll have to have is those brain cells, and you'll be able to go, oh, here's what he was teaching 2,000 years ago. But, you know, I've looked everywhere, and I haven't found one person in 2,000 years that knew how that was done. If you're not using the forgiveness process, we invite you to go to our website. You can do it live. There's a worksheet, step-by-step process. You can do it live right there on the website. You can print the worksheet off so that you can do it yourself at home. Or if you have a smartphone, pin to your app store, Heartland, H-E-A-R-T-L-A-N-D, Aramaic, A-R-A-M-A-I-C, Forgiveness. Type in Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness, and you'll be looking at the only forgiveness app in the world, which 
the genius of Miss Jeannie created. And thank you, sweetie, for all the, I don't even know, thousands of hours you put into understanding and then being able to put that into a format that anybody can pick up and use on a minute's notice. You don't have to spend 35 years. You can pick it up. There's the worksheet. Fill in the blanks, and, and that's it. Jeannie, I think, was talking about the fact that uh, there was a um, a book club that we did, and she put the uh, video of that. I assume it's in the notes today. It's also on the website. But we took a young lady who knew nothing about forgiveness, and we walked her step-by-step step through that worksheet process right from scratch. She was quite confused and didn't know what end was up with forgiveness, and so we were able to just guide her right through and into it. And she went right into some ancestral dynamics, a memory of her grandmother, talking to her about some traumas that were matched the pattern that she was in that had happened with an ancestor of hers. So, you know, there's an example there. And along with that, there are at least 20 other examples on the website. If you go to whyagain, whyagain.org, you'll see the microphone, click that, and then just drill down into the links that take you to the special radio shows where either Dr. Tim or Jeannie or myself have walked step-by-step step with somebody through the whole forgiveness process. If you really want to understand it, listen to all 20-plus shows. Each one has a different nuance, a different question, a different slant, a different person doing a different piece of work, and each one of them contributes to comprehending how this process works. Start putting the pen to the paper and watch how life changes. I promise if you actually use it on a consistent, persistent basis, you will not end up like Paul saying things like, why is it the things I hate are what I do and the things I would do I cannot do? You won't be saying that. You will, in a consistent way, as you do your work, you'll be more and more empowered to do and say exactly what you want to do and say, and you'll be freed of the propensity to do and say things that you find yourself being embarrassed about or damaged or hurt. The technology's there. It's free. Go for it. Pass it on to somebody else. Our commitment is to make it available to literally every mind, heart, and being on the planet. Cost-free. And, Michael? If you, uh, yes, sweetie? You have a hand up, and we're down to 11 minutes. Okay, well, let me finish just one more thought or two. Okay. So, so download the app, and there are two different forms. There's a simpler version and then the deeper version of the reality management forgiveness process. Start to use it. Put it to work in your life. And support us. Find somebody. You know somebody who's in desperate need of the tools. Pass it on to them. Inform them about it. Work with it, gain an experience of it, and share the experience with another. And or if it's impacting your life in a positive way, supporting you, go to our website. There's a donate button. Support us. We are doing everything we can do to make this as freely available as possible on a global scale. And aside from a very simple 
minimalist-type lifestyle, everything that comes in goes into the next project of how can we make this available to more and more people. And join us for the book study because that's just one more way we're going to be supporting people and putting it to work. So, Ms. Jeannie, let's say hello to the hand that's up. All right. It's area code 610. You are on the air. I believe it's Susan. Howdy, folks. All right. We're going well, to welcome, have young lady. I have a pile of questions. Michael, that was a great talk. And I have questions starting with the Delaware camera. Yeah, it was good. Yes. Um, um, this is a nitty intellectual question. What okay. kind of a picture of the oak tree did it show? Is it a generic oak tree or is it the literal oak tree that's going to come to life if it's planted properly? Well, my take would be that it's somewhat like perception in that the frequency pattern that, pattern that is in the oak is going to be reflected into a structure that it will ultimately end up becoming. And, you know, it's actually been years since I've seen these pictures, and I think Jeannie's got links on the website if you want to go read more about it. I mean, there's there's one set of pictures I remember looking at was a picture of a fetus in utero at one month, two months, three months, and six months. And you could see the whole developing fetus. All four pictures were taken the same day. Now you say, well, how's that possible? Well, you know, you know, at, at day one, does does something go into the the single cell that's been conceived and say, well, let's see, I need to put instructions in for day two, and then on day two say, oh, I need to put instructions in for day three, and on day two hundred does it say, oh, I need to go in and put instructions? No, the instruction set is there; it just unfolds. And so, if you like, like the television signals in my room, if I turn the television on, I've got the right decoder, I can see what's happening on ABC or NBC or CBS or whatever. And if I have the right decoder, which is what the Delaware camera is, I can see what that, which is in front of the lens, if it's tuned properly, I can see what it's going to become. Wow, the implications for that, of that are huge. Like, for instance... Monumental. If, yeah, like do we have our whole cells? Is is it imaged right away when we're first conceived, and we could, it shows us as an old person, maybe even a dead person, or you know, I mean, I'm not asking you to answer those questions. Yeah. My mind's just exploded with all the possibilities. Well, my take my take would be that the whole unfolding process is there. Everything that will ever that is structured into the single cell at conception is there and available if we have the mechanisms to tune to it. Everything that's ever going to unfold in that person's life, except for if the being wakes up and chooses to originate as we're designed to do, then the being is going to write new information into the structure, and there's going to be a shift and a change. So, you know, at the age of 10, the child who's tapped into what their purpose is perhaps has changed their whole physiology. And if you took a picture of them at the age of 10 and compared it to the picture at conception, they'd be two totally and completely different things. And then maybe at the age of 30, you know, what what energetic patterns have been added or removed, forgiven, that will change the outcome? So free will is intact, thank God, and we can actually have an influence on what we become. 
Absolutely. We have the ability to reach in and anything that's structured and programmed, maybe from 20 generations ago, if we know how to access it, which is what first century Aramaic forgiveness empowers us to do, we can access it and throw it out of the structure so it never has to Mm -hmm. unfold. And if we have our imaging faculty, remember one of the faculties of the soul we talked about in the codependence intensive is the imagination, the ability to image in, to bring in a new frequency that can restructure everything. There's free will. Now, of course, kings don't want you to have free will, so they're going to structure us with all kinds of rage and fear and guilt and grief, so we never wake up from it. We stay asleep and follow the program as inserted by the king. You know, go back into the scriptures and they, and they talk about kings and then they say, don't ever form contracts with them. They've been at this too long. They know how to run the game. Don't ever get involved with them, but find the power in you that was called Rukudakucha that will, one, when you give permission with your free will to remove what doesn't belong, it will remove what doesn't belong, and then that power will teach you the truth of what's possible for you, will give you a whole new level of understanding, comprehension, capability, and change the game. Wow. So, And what if one of the frequencies that's there at conception, which is the frequency of death, what if death is just a frequency that's been put into the structure and because it's there, we die? What if we learn to remove those death frequencies, those energetic patterns that don't belong, remove that overlay? Then what's possible? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a very high thought. I, I understand what you're saying, and I'm, I I don't think I'm going to be able to do that in my life, but I love the thought and the possibility. Holy and, and if you insert it into your bloodline, who yeah. will in your future bloodline be able to actualize that thought? And will you be resonated right back into the bloodline to continue with the process? Wow. Wow. Now, I, I shared uh, that back, oh, probably six or eight months ago. It might be longer than that now. I don't know. Time flies. But I was doing a still point session, and I had this, I, I was, you know, my eyes were closed. I'm breathing away, and I'm inclined to point my eyes downward. And what I see is just this vast, uh, unfathomable field of darkness with just throughout it small tiny lights throughout the whole vast array of darkness and an uncountable number of small lights in that and what I was told what I was shown in that moment was that I was looking at my ancestry and the darkness was the unresolved pain and the request was am I willing to be the conduit to access and process out that pain and I I agree I said yes I will do that I spoke that to all of my ancestors and interestingly enough at the instant literally that I to all of my ancestors I literally verbalized that out loud my phone rang and it was my son on the phone now I've never had a conversation with my son about ancestry or you know grandfathers nothing in that regard but literally the instant that I said that 
out loud in my still point session to my ancestors. I will handle that. The phone rang, and my son was on the phone. He said, Dad, I'm on Ancestry.com, and I need some answers about some of our ancestors. That was pretty good confirmation for me. That, <laughs> that, was, God, that was pretty powerful confirmation. It's like, okay, I, we're on track. Wow. Okay, that's amazing, and it's too bad we have too little time to 